2003, Bakersfield, California. Vincent Brothers claims he was in Ohio when his wife, Joni Harper, their three children, and his mother-in-law, Ernestine, were all brutally killed. But Detective Watts isn't buying it, and he's asked entomologist Dr. Lynn Kimsey for help. I got a phone call from the Bakersfield police asking whether or not we could tell where a vehicle had been based on the insects that were on the radiator. And I said, I don't know, but let's try. presented by the good people at the Podbelly Network. My fellow Americans, we are fortunate to be alive. They need them to protect us from the number one killer in history. Protect us from the Central University. A study on the Y killed 290 Welcome to episode 150 of the Art and Jacob Do America podcast. Um, this is week three of uh, stuck in the house, bored in the house. Yes, I'm bored in the house, bored, or whatever that dumbass TikTok song is. Um, but um, Art and I are still face to face, or whatever. Um, but um, I'm Jacob Pixton, your host today, and to my left is my most delicious co host. Um, Hopefully he doesn't have the coronavirus yet. I don't know. Um, he might be asymptomatic. But anyways, with that said, Art, you want to say hello to the millions? And Alejandra. Hey, Seuss, what's <laughs> up, guys? Um, I just want to say what's up. My name is Art. This show is sponsored, heavily sponsored, <laughs> by Caveman Coffee. Go to cavemancoffee.com. Check out their nitro cold brews. Jacob has like five of them right here. He's probably going to chug them right after the show to make sure he does not come down with the Rona. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not proven that it doesn't, you know, it doesn't uh, cure cure it. But you know what? I bet you it does help. The so, best offense is a good defense. Yeah. So go to cavemancoffee.com. Check out their full inventory of hoodies, coffee mugs, nitro cold brews, the decaf, the cocoa butter, everything they have on there. Check it out. I'm sure you'll find something to buy and also why the hell would you go to the store to buy coffee when you just buy it online on cavemancoffee.com and get that 15% off while you're in there with promo code America that's and right promo I believe code. they do have free shipping too because uh, yesterday when I was uh, perusing their website um, I was putting some stuff in the cart you know waiting for that you know uh, stimulus check to hit my bank and so I was like hey you know what I'm gonna buy I'm gonna stock up on some coffee or whatever right because right now the store is all out of my fucking favorite coffee which is that which is that uh, well we're sponsored by the coffee uh, station so I'm not or a coffee <laughs> but but the one that I get, you know, for work, because uh, Caveman Coffee is too good to take to work. Because these motherfuckers at work, they be stealing my coffee and shit. So um, the usual, co- the, the bullshit coffee or whatever I yeah, use yeah. for work. And, you know, they've been out of that. So um, what that I... fucking Dunkin' Donuts coffee tastes like shit, man. Nah, I don't... 
come on, man. It's like uh, uh, Quentin, Car- Quentin Tarantino um, at the end of Pulp Fiction. Like they buy that like, bullshit. I buy that oh, good fuck, shit. Fuck yeah, man. Like there's there's some bullshit ass coffees out there. That Dunkin' Donuts shit's trash. I'll give this props though. Shout out to K-Man Coffee. But Starbucks Coffee, it's, it's pretty good, man. I'll give them that. I'll yeah. give them that, man. They're still the devil, but they're, they're pretty good. <laughs> they're a good devil. Yeah. So um, with that said, I, I know I brought up Quentin Tarantino at the end of Pulp Fiction. And the one part of that uh, movie that I didn't like is that, you know, he says the N-word quite a bit in this. But um, we're not going to do that today <laughs> with that awkward transition. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Vincent Brothers murder case. Um, the... Fresno Nightcrawler, you know, that was something that Fresno, our neighbors to the north, you know, that they're pretty famous for. And Bakersfield, you know, of course we have to be known for something. We got to be famous for something. And so one of our longtime listeners and longtime friends uh, suggested this on the official Art and Jacob Do America Facebook group. And I said, hey, why don't you get that ass on here? So um, with that said, I would like to introduce criminal justice expert in the Bakersfield criminal justice system, Miss Elena Andrade. Elena, say hello to hello. the millions. Hello, people. How are you guys? <laughs> are you a fan of My Fair Murder? Mm, That's a no. I don't know what that is. <laughs> That's a no. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. She only yeah. listens exclusively to Art and Jacob oh, to wow. America. But are you, you a fan of this podcast? I actually I am. You know what? I really don't listen to a lot of podcasts, so it really has to pique my interest for me to listen to. Maybe with all this quarantine stuff, I'll start listening to it. Hell yeah. Yeah, hell yeah. Good job. Whoa, what was that? Was, it, was oh, that the sound of the devil in the background? What was that, that? was. Are we on speakerphone? Is the government listening on this? <laughs> Folks, you're going to want to go to uh, rjacobdoamerica.com. And, uh... That's what happens when you work for the government. They just you know, sneak right on in. So you are, you do work with the Bakersfield criminal justice system. So you, I guess you can say you're uh, an expert on I this think, case, right? I am. <laughs> I've been trying to get like information, like trying to find like certain things just so I can get reaction. Mm-hmm. So but, one could say that you're the one who caught him. I mean, I could from, you know, the comfort of my couch, <laughs> like one of those like quarterback, Quarter, you know, yeah. lawyers chair quarterbacks. or defense lawyers or whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Like he did it and it's all these facts. Like, yeah, I'm like one of those people. So with that said, I know both you and I, we both went to high school together and we graduated in the year 2003, which is pretty much when this um, event took place. So, um, yes. how did you hear about the Vincent Brothers mass murder? I mean, yes, we are from Bakersfield, and this happened in our own backyard. But like Art was saying before we started recording, he didn't know anything about that um, before. You know, we did our one week's worth of research. Yeah. So, pretty much, I remember being at home summertime, not doing anything, didn't have a summer job, waiting for college to start. So. What do I do? Watch the news, watch, you know, whatever's on TV. Then I see breaking news like on CNN and it's Bakersfield. I'm like, that place looks familiar. <laughs> and it was an overshot of Emerson Junior High. So I'm thinking Emerson has a reputation of being like the school you don't want to go to and yeah, the that area that it's hood. in. Where's you know, Emerson Junior High? Um, it's in the fucking hood. I think it's it's pretty yeah, co- uh, it's, close to Cottonwood. Cottonwood. Yeah. Well, it's oh, pretty much man. off of like Fourth and Union. Oh, yeah. Oh, how many yeah. streets are named Martin Luther King around there? Yeah. Wow. And I grew up in that area. I was supposed oh. to go to Emerson, but I and my mom made me go to Washington 
which is still oh, like dang. which is that's still solid. like yeah that's like still like a like not the like tip top magoo school right there i mean i believe <laughs> that's <laughs> the school i got stabbed at i believe i got shot right outside of that what was school. washington's mascot the killer bees uh, it was a ripoff of like the Charlotte Hornets. Oh, the Hornets! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. the Killer Bees, <laughs> the Wu Tang Killer Bees. <laughs> so for so just to put it in perspective, for your mom to transfer you out of the Emerson's district to Washington, where again, where I got stabbed, where I got shot at, like right outside of the school grounds, where some kids, I believe, um, overdosed on PCP in their Sprite yes. or whatever. That just tells you how bad fucking Emerson was for your mom to what move was you to Emerson's Washington's mascot, right? Just it I, was, is it the eraser heads? The Emerson <laughs> eraser heads. <laughs> what? I don't even know. That's a good question. Based on the uh, David Lynch movie Eraserhead. <laughs> that would be so perfect. <laughs> Probably. Um, yeah, my mom was like, "You're not going to Emerson. You're going to Washington." And then that I remember that whole PCP incident. I was thinking wow. about that. And I was like, oh. "I don't remember yeah, that." Yeah, it wasn't even that. So that happened when you guys were going to Washington, the PCP yeah. thing? So yeah. that must have been like right before I got there. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, because I believe wow. you're um, 2004, you're graduating class, yeah. right? Okay, yeah. So you're a year before us. So you're probably still at Noble or whatever other elementary you came from or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I think that happened our seventh grade year. Yeah, yeah, seventh grade. Yeah, so that was a pretty ratchet junior high. So <laughs> again, and he, he OD'd and died? No, they, um, they were gone for like six months. Like they... Well, obviously they got suspended, but they were hospitalized for a good long while because I remember they were just like stuck on stupid. And one of the kids was like two kids ahead of me, like sitting in their desk. And I just remember like they were just sitting still as hell. And like they were like a rambunctious like. Oh, they did it at school. Yeah, at lunch. They put it like in some Sprite bottle or whatever. Oh, yeah. I don't know how you do fucking PCP. They but... put it in their cheeseburgers. <laughs> they put it in their spicy nachos. Uh, the fucking well, mashed potatoes. One of them put them in like their hot Cheetos or something. Like, oh, were... That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> That's crazy. That's how you do it. The American school system, just full of nutrition. That's um, a, uh, let me guess. They were Mexican. <laughs> They're eating hot Cheetos at lunch. <laughs> how did you guess? But... um. <laughs> Yeah, I remember he was just stuck on stupid, and um, all of a sudden he just started drooling on his desk, and there was this huge puddle of just drool, like just cascading off of his desk. And I remember um, it was Miss Villanson, the um, home ec teacher. Oh, like she dang. started crying, of course. Dude, I remember she used to talk to herself during like just classes. Yeah, that was my favorite thing. I remember I would, uh, she would just start telling us something like, "Oh yeah, you got to put the eggs in the blend," and then and then she'll just like start spacing out and talk about like her how like her like ex-boyfriend left her for like a fucking hooker or something <laughs> and then he's never coming back he's not coming back he's not allowed to come back in yeah be like miss villinson yeah, um can you help me with something <laughs> yeah she was crazy yeah she was yeah, um she, yeah she cried a lot the kids would like make her cry and i'd be like damn why are you a teacher here <laughs> yeah every school every class like she would cry but this i remember this incident like she cried like like hardcore like she was gonna get fired or whatever or they were gonna like kill her or put her to the gallows or whatnot but um yeah that's washington junior high in a nutshell you gotta be a little more like mr sanders yeah hey quit horsing around mr sanders chopped his finger off in front of me washington junior high yeah. dude he <laughs> told me he was gonna that. kill himself in front of me one time what he's like i'm gonna kill myself in front of you and i was like okay <laughs> that was that was our first day so speaking of killing themselves <laughs> <laughs> Guess who the vice principal of Emerson was? Benson Brothers. Oh, crazy! <laughs> so if Washington had teachers that cried uh, every period and fucking fucking what was it a shop teacher every... that wanted to kill himself and chopped his fingers <laughs> off on the bandsaw? Um, Emerson Junior High um, in the Bakersfield City School District had a had a vice principal who ended up killing 
uh, his uh, wife, Joni, um, his two sons, Marquise and Marshall, his daughter, Lindsay, and his mother-in-law, Ernestine. And we're done later. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it, everybody. <laughs> See you guys next week. Have a good one. Yeah. <laughs> but what I thought was crazy about this uh, topic is, um, like Elena said, you know, this this all happened in 2003, you know, the year that Elena, both and I, both I and her graduated from high school. Um, again, you know, this th- this happened during the summer. So, you know, we're in between, you know, high school and, you know, junior college, because I'm assuming you went to BC too, right? I did. Yeah. Yes. So that was a that was a weird time. Like you're an adult, but at the same time, like your parents still like have like control of you. So like I'm sitting at home um, watching the news again because there's not much to do. And it's the middle of July. You know, it's 114 degrees, yeah, you know, in Bakersfield. <laughs> yeah, you ain't doing that. Like you're not trying to wear, you know, take your fourth shower of the day and whatnot. But I just remember it being like plastered all over the news, kind of like 9-11, if you will, because, you know, yeah. CNN put it up and then, you know, about 45 minutes, Fox News put it up and whatnot. And it was just everywhere you could could imagine and you start to see like familiar you know landmarks and you're like holy shit they're talking about bakersfield because anything that happens in bakersfield is like automatically like a big deal for us small town folk yeah. and um i remember just my mom was like glued to the tv of this like oh my god i can't believe they had you know this happened in our backyard because you know la is like a hop skip and jump away from us and mm-hmm. you know usually when shit like this goes down it's usually someplace in la or someplace down south if you will uh, but for something like this to happen in Bakersfield is rather crazy. Um, yeah, and so. I think that what enheightened it more is because of his reputation. Mm-hmm. Like you have this nice guy, this person who has like this nice guy reputation, then all of a sudden he's a suspect in a mass murder mm-hmm. in the small town. You know, back then Bakersfield was still considered a small town, yeah. even though now it's not. But that we still that was the image that it kind of portrayed. Yeah. Did, didn't so he also? like fascinating thing besides being involved in the Bakersfield school district uh wasn't he also very involved in his church he was and And he started to like come up with like ideas on how to i guess get the community to become more like kind of like hold hands get together kind of thing of because of the area that he he lived in the area and, you know, he was an educator in the area. So it's kind of getting the community to come together and provide services and kind of give the kids an outlet of where to go to after school and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. So, yeah, he was very he started to get involved in that. Yeah. And so that was like another kind of like, OK, well, that doesn't make sense for this guy to go off and off his whole family. So and that's what, you know, kind of like sensationalized nationwide of putting the focus on to. Okay, yeah. we're going to focus on Bakersfield right now. Yeah. It's weird, too, because at first he wasn't a suspect. Um, I remember I was watching uh, the documentary on this, and, you know, they, like Elena was saying right now, that, you know, yeah, he was he was a a person in, in, in the community, you know, in the African-American community that was very highly looked upon, uh, you know, where, you know, he made sure, like, him and his wife, Joni, because they both worked for Emerson. He was the vice principal, and then she worked in the office, and what they would do is, is that, you know, they would ride bikes um, in between classes and made sure, you know, all the kids, you know, made it safely to each class. Because uh, this is like right around the time of like Columbine and all that. Like, so everybody was kind of like on heightened suspicion. Again, to reference Washington Junior High, that's like when those lists were coming out, like those hit lists and whatnot. So mm-hmm. um, I remember that was like a big thing, too, where like yeah. he was just making sure like, hey, you know, all the kids were just safe as could be. Like, it's, you know, him... And his wife, you know, would bicycle 
you know, from class yeah. to class. And then after school, like he would just make sure, you know, all the kids either got into their car safely or, you know, if there was children walking home, you know, he would just make sure, you know, hey, this is a, a vulnerable child right here. Let's make sure they right. get to their house, you know, which is, again, like a pretty upstanding thing. And, you know, again, very active in his church and, you know, just one of those community leaders like that you always mm-hmm. just see, like, you know, organizing, organizing, you know, you know, turkey giveaways and, you know, picnics and whatnot and feeding like the uh, the needy, the homeless and whatnot. So, again, like when all of this transpired, you know, he was, you know, it was like, oh, my God, like, where's Vincent at? You know, because at first um, Bakersfield detective, I think his name was Jeff Watts. Yeah, um, Jeff Watts. And the only reason I uh, <laughs> remember that is because I was like, okay, J.J. Watt, the, the linebacker fucking the Houston, <laughs> Texas or whatever. Um, but at first they were thinking like, oh, shit, this this sounds like a serial killer, you know, because, you know, five people went, um, uh, got, were murdered here. And, you know, they were trying to, you know, find the husband who was, you know, this happened all around like the 4th of July weekend. And you were like, okay, we got to find the husband, you know, notify the uh, closest to kin. And then, hey, like, let him know that, hey, he might be in danger as well because it looks like, you know, somebody that might have, you know, problems with the family. Why did they think it was a serial killer? That doesn't even sound like a serial killer. Um, that That's just what they were saying, like, on every documentary that I was watching that, you know, that yeah. was, like, the first thing. It was like, hey, was it somebody, you know, in the neighborhood? Because, again, Emerson's in a really bad neighborhood. Um, it, it and just, it was, like, another theory, too, because the mother-in-law, Ernestine, was a community activist. That's right. And she helped a lot of people who were you know, caught these cases and trying to, you know, get them out of, you know, the the system and try to beat the system. So mm-hmm. they probably, there was another theory that maybe she was a targeted, you know, person, you know, within the, with gang community, because obviously that area is, I think, or I want to say it's like Country Boy Crips controls that whole area from Cottonwood up to like the Union area. So maybe she pissed somebody off or, you know, mm-hmm. did whatever. So they probably thought like, oh, it was kind of like a revenge thing. Yeah. Where they knew, obviously they know where she lives. The house isn't that far from the school well, and like the whole area. So he was still living in Cottonwood, right? Even though like, sounds, mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm assuming he would make enough money to like maybe just get someplace a little nicer. Yeah, because the only information that was at least shared was that he at one point lived with Joni Ernestine in that house. And that mm-hmm. house is located off of third and p street so that's right across the street from emerson yeah so for a vice principal who makes a hundred grand a year you're living in the hood like that's i don't know like i guess maybe for some people might be humbling you know save your money type of thing Mm -hmm. give to charity but i would think if i'm gonna make that much money i'm moving out of the hood like i ain't living there (laughs) yeah you can you can care and commute well, here's the thing, though. This is why he did live with, um, you know, his mother-in-law, basically, is because he was a notorious uh, sex addict, and he had, you know, tons of extramarital affairs. I believe he was married, you know, two times before he was married to Joni, and yes. um, those all ended, you know, either due to infidelity or because of domestic violence. So, you know, quick background on, you know, Vincent. Um, he was actually born in Ohio, and he came out to Bakersfield to get his master's degree from, you know, CSUB, Cal State Bakersfield. And, you know, this is where he met Joni. And, you know, he, you know, presented himself, you know, kind of like how we were talking about right now, you know, just this really nice guy that just cared about his community and whatnot. And um, he had this like secret life, I guess you could say, where Mm -hmm. um, 
he, and a lot of people would say like, hey, there was two Vincents, you know, maybe he was bipolar. I don't know. I don't want to you know, diagnose him on a podcast, if you will. But <laughs> they would say that like, you know, he'd be this like kind, you know, generous, giving man. But at the same time, like he would like become Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and he would just totally flip. And um, one, I guess you could call girlfriend, but it, like the way he described their relationship, it was just basically sex. Like they had no communication, you know, other than that, they would just call each other up and, you know, and just have sex. Yeah. Um, but she was also, you know, an employee at, you know, a previous school that he was working at. And, you know, he came over and I guess she said something to him that, you know, struck him the wrong way. And I guess he ended up like beating the shit out of her. And, you know, obviously, you know, she calls the cops, the cops come out and, you know, try to dissuade her from pressing charges or having him arrested because he's an upstanding person in, you know, in the community. And it would be a bad mark on the school district if he got arrested. So, you know, he was getting free passes, you know, from the police and whatnot. And um, again, he had like tons of girlfriends, I believe, um, you know, on the witness stand, you know, when he was, you know, when, when it goes to trial, um, I guess like there was just like 121 witnesses that would come out and I believe half of them were, you know, lovers or, you know, side pieces that he would have on the side. And, you know, this was just a chronic problem. And him yeah, and Joan. There's, a, oh, there's a quote that I found while reading the article regarding that. Mm-hmm. They had asked him about his, ex, you know, his extramarital affairs. And one of the quotes that he had asked was, you know, asking him what's the happiest day of his life. Oh, you know, yeah. In reference to marrying, you know, Joni. And then then it goes about like, well, actually, the night before was the happiest day. And the prosecutor asks why he's like, well, because, you know, we had sex and just all that stuff. And he was kind of like. Smarty. When you're on the stand, just kind of like giving that hint, like, yeah, that's kind of like what I'm into kind of yeah. thing. Like my womanizing is not a secret. And mm-hmm. I just kind of gave it up on the witness stand. So just kind of proves a point. Yeah. And so that could answer that question right there. Like, hey, like, why is he still in the hood? And, you know, he had a couple other children uh, before he met Joni, uh, too. I believe he had two other children. The one um, later on, I guess we could talk about, too, um, uh, that basically disowned him. Um, Mm, She pretty much just like right after the trial, like, I'm just going to drop off the the last name. This mm -hmm. is who I am. I want nothing to do with him. And the last time, the only time I want to see him is when he's in the death chamber. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. The next time I'm going to see my father is when they they lethally inject him, you know, in San Quentin and whatnot. Crazy. So that, for me, that says a lot about a person. Like if your own daughter, because you, you have all this information that's coming out and you're in court and all this facts comes out, like that would really change my perception on my dad. Oh, I yeah. thought my dad was this mass murderer type of person. Yeah, that's something you don't want to be associated with. I know I was watching not at all. Um, on Netflix, there's a documentary called The Devil Next Door. And um, it's about, you know, this one of this um, one of the guards from one of the Nazi concentration camps. Um, I guess he moves over to uh, Cleveland. <laughs> Funny enough, it's in Ohio <laughs> as well. Um, but, you know, long story short on that, that could be its own separate topic altogether. Um, but. They find out, oh, shoot, he used to be like this Nazi uh, guard, you know, back in uh, Poland. And they find out, you know, he was Ivan the Terrible, you know, responsible for putting oh, yeah. thousands of, you know, Jews in the gas chamber and torturing them and whatnot. Mm-hmm. 
and you know the whole family you know afterward you know half of them was you know on his side saying like oh no they this is a case of missing identity but the other half was just like nah and they totally like just changed their last names and just totally disassociate themselves that's, from that that's kind of like yeah. you know who uh btk like when btk's uh when they found out who the BTK killer was, they went and and uh, talked to his daughter and basically told her like, "Hey, uh, we found out your dad is the BTK killer," and like, she she couldn't believe it. It it is pretty like, especially not to say well, this guy's actually kind of similar to BTK mm-hmm. in the sim in the similar sense that he was like this like outstanding citizen in the community, and to be told something like that that like is like can sh- do shift your entire life to like to your beliefs, but. I've said it on here before, like, dude, everybody's fucking like Fogel from from Subway until proven otherwise. <laughs> like, <laughs> my my trust for like humanity is like very little to none. Yeah. So it's just like every like I don't know like it, whenever people are like surprised that like anybody comes out to be a killer or like mm-hmm. whatever it may be, like, t- why? Like, fucking like everybody bleeds the same. Everybody like fucks up the same so like i don't understand why you're surprised that like this one other individual like isn't isn't bad or whatever it may Mm be and it's kind of like we were talking about last podcast like when we brought up you know chris benoit you know the documentary on vice um he was talking about all of his i guess you can call him co-workers like chris jericho and d malenko and eddie guerrero all of them were saying like how much of a nice guy he was but at the end you know fuck he was capable of you know killing his family and then killing himself, you know, and that's, that's a fucking demon that, you know, just buries itself and just decides to come out. Yeah. But I mean, like who's not capable of killing their entire family? Mm-hmm. Like what? Like that doesn't surprise me at all. Like that's just, that's just flaw in humanity. Like that's just what we are. We're like, at the end of the day, we're still like an animal. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> we're like, we're still going to fuck up. We're still like not perfect. We still yeah. suffer of, Whatever Chris Jericho had, or Chris Jericho? Chris Benoit. Chris Benoit. Whatever. Chris Jericho is still alive and well, sir. <laughs> Sorry. His family but is good. Whatever Chris Benoit had, you know, you brought up that he might be bipolar. I don't think he was bipolar, but I think that he kind of had these uh, very, like, narcissistic. He had a, obviously he had a narcissistic per- I think he had a narcissistic oh, personality. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. And I think once you get to the point where you, where you um, have a narcissistic personality, and maybe he had, um, uh, not a, I don't think he had bipolar, but he, he might have had something where it was just like at that point you're willing to convince yourself that everything you do is justified. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how you justify like, you know, like hooking up with as many women as he was hooking up with. Yeah. As willing to like, I think I, and then to come up with a plan, we'll talk about his plan, but to come up with a plan that he came up with is something that you're willing to convince yourself that you're willing, you're smart enough to outsmart all these like police investigators mm-hmm. yeah because you hit the nail on the head right there you know it's that narcissism because you know he's uh, his whole lifetime he's able to get away with you know doing what he wants you know you see it a lot with athletes you know like where they'll have you know multiple extra extra marital affairs you know but their wife still stands by him i believe Joni and him got married you know in the year 2000 it was quickly annulled you know the following year in 2001 uh, but then they ended up marrying and marrying again in 2003 and didn't he marry someone in between there um, he might have. Cause I saw something that he had Two divorced priests. her, married, and then remarried her. So I guess he got her like married and old, me. married, remarried or something like that. It was something ridiculous like that. Like, yeah, all over he, the place. Right. Yeah. 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 
And it doesn't surprise me because, I mean, hey, he, he would, you know, find a chick, you know, marry him. Again, like he said, before Joni, there was two other marriages. You know, there's a couple other children. And, you know, every time, you know, you know, they would either come back into his life where or even one of his ex-wives even said that, hey, like I was still in the picture like the whole time, you know, on the witness stand. Like I'm, I'm still, you know, you know, active. Like we still have like some kind of relationship. So it doesn't surprise me, you know. And what that does is somebody's personality that's just like, hey, like, you know, I can, you know, cheat and do all this bad stuff and like they'll still come back to me. He can beat the shit out of, you know, the, you know, the side piece or the Sancha, if you will. I'm trying to find a better name for that other than that, but you know, fuck it. We're East Side kids or whatever. It's a Sancha. You know, he had like a Sancha on the side, you know, he beat the shit out of her. And, you know, the cops basically, you know, even the cops gave him a pass. So it's just like he's at this point, he's feeling untouchable, you know, and in his mind, you know, if he comes up with an alibi, you know, after he kills his family, that is going to be like, hey, there's no reason that, you know, they're going to catch me because, shit, this is fucking lock, stock, and two smoking barrels right here. Yeah, so do you want to get to, the to like, the day of what we're talking about here? Hell yeah, let's go, man. So, I don't know. You, you're the one <laughs> with the notes. I'm just kind of winging all this. But what what day did this happen? And you said this happened definitely in 2003, right? Yeah, so, yeah, like I said, so January... it happened 4th of July weekend, and the day that they were last seen alive as far as like the family goes was july 6 um which happened to fall on a sunday um the entire family minus vincent um had gone to church ate lunch with friends went back home to wait for the evening services so i'm guessing that time is when you know you put the kids down for a nap that sort of thing vincent had flown to ohio about four days prior so that puts it at the second correct um when they did it, or when he flew out, I'm sorry. And then on July 8th, um, one of Joni's best friends hadn't heard from her, wasn't like her to, you know, ignore calls or not call somebody back. She actually had a key to the house, went to go check on him, and then that's when she discovered what had happened um, and immediately called 911, placed a call to the police department. Obviously, within minutes, they're there, and they discovered this whole whole scene and every single person you know has been shot yeah and what i thought was interesting too is is that it looked like the the family was still asleep i believe the friend was kelsey span and uh one of our mutual friends you know they were posting about this case right after you had you know posted it in you know the group and you know she posted a picture like hey does anybody you know from you know, elementary and uh, uh, junior high, I remember this guy. And there was people like, you know, commenting like, oh, yo, those were my first cousins. And then, you know, another one was like, hey, my aunt was best friends with her. And, you know, they went off on a whole side conversation on that. But, you know, the lady's name is Kelsey Spann. And yes. she was more or less like a sister, like they said. Like, you know, they, mm-hmm. she confided into him. And one thing that I thought was super chilling is that she, that, um, the wife, Joni, she confided into Kelsey that, you know, what the media is showing is not the whole story because he, Vincent, treated her like even worse than, you know, what's even being portrayed in the media. So that tells you all sorts of shit about like this relationship. Yeah. And I'm sure yeah, that's that, got to be true. Thing, I was going to say that was the thing too. Like, Joni never questioned why Vincent, you know, would go for days. Mm-hmm. But, I hadn't found anything that she, you know, she was ever abused. 
you know, her family had mentioned in one of the interviews that there was never any anger that he displayed. The mother-in-law never talked about any anger issues that he had. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I don't know if that was something like the best friend had mentioned. That one I couldn't find. I was trying to to dig more into that because of knowing her status within mm-hmm. Joni's life and finding out more information about that. And maybe that's just pride, though, too, because, I mean, you know, they married once and it was an old and they had just re- recently gotten back together in 2003. Um, you know, Vegas wedding because, you know, hey, she was pregnant again by him by for, for the third time. Wasn't the reason that the first wedding was annulled was because of abuse? Uh, no, because of his I think it was his affairs. infidelity. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, but, um, yeah, he, yeah, they, she was pregnant once again with a third child. And I guess they were trying to work on it, you know, trying to make it, you know, a happy home and whatnot. But he moves out in 2003 because, again, you know, he's, back to his old ways you know just Mm -hmm. cheating and whatnot and i you know i know that's like a lot of families are like that where like they keep you know they might tell you know everybody else on the outside like oh everything was good and honky dory um or even you know just within the relationship you know they try to keep things in because that's pride you know they don't mean that's i feel like that's just human nature i mean you look at something like social media in general Mm -hmm. nobody posts their shitty days on there they only post like the fucking delicious food i just had or here's me on this trip it's like you don't post the fucking argument you just have with your girl or whatever yeah that's that and that's life that's like i would say that's like 50 percent of life isn't on there just that's that's just human nature to like only want to share the good shit yeah so i mean i could see that too where it's just like hey you know maybe the mom and you know the family you know they were saying that because they want to present like a good picture because you know they're trying to make this family work um yeah. but shit um, yeah, like you said, though, Vincent flies out, you know, July 2nd to Ohio. Um, and he says that he's, he's doing that, you know, again, it's the 4th of July weekend, obviously it's to catch up with family and whatnot, but he says, because he wants to work on his doctorate degree and this kind of, you know, goes into his alibi, uh, because, uh, between the third and the fourth, um, he drives to Bakersfield, you know, he puts what on the rent a car that he has. It was like 5,200 like 5, miles? Yeah, like 5,400 miles. So, And round trip from Ohio to Bakersfield was like about 2,300 miles. Wow. It was about 33 hours to drive to and from. I did a little Google Maps because I was curious to see <laughs> One of the how things long that, that it would be. And it kind, of, it kind of matched up to what they were saying about his rental car. Yeah. Yeah, he definitely, yeah, I saw the investigators did say that his car definitely had enough miles on there to mm-hmm. have made that trip. Um, plus there were a couple of other factors, um, um, you know, the, the insects that were in his radiator, um, also matched up with insects that would be found in, in like Eastern States. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did think it was funny that his, uh, the car rental place that he went with was called like $1 rental or something yeah, like that. that. It is, was some yeah, super like sketch, like yeah. car rental place, but. Which I got to give him credit for. Like, you're not going to go to Hertz because anybody that's ever, like, rented a car, like, they, they get your whole, like, gamut of information, which, I mean, I can't blame them. You know, they're they're giving you out, like, a $30,000, you know, brand new vehicle. So Aaron Hernandez fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they had all that shit on Aaron Hernandez yeah. and shit. He didn't clean out the bullets. Nope. That, what, fucking dumbass, right? Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, he goes to you know a janky you know rent a car place, gets this. I believe it was like a blue Dodge Neon or whatever. Yeah. Again, a fucking fuel efficient car, so he's uh-huh. not going to have to make you know a lot of gas stops. So he's not going to be seen you know, you know on camera at gas stations. I believe they only caught him on one gas station surveillance, and I believe that was you know in Ohio. Uh, but what he was saying is you know in response to all the mileage that you know they ended up finding on the the rent a car because it was a brand new vehicle, it only had four other people who only drove, putt-putted around, you know, Ohio, you know, whatever city in Ohio, Columbus, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Columbus, yeah. And um, the previous four people, they only put like maybe 20, 30 miles on it. But all of a sudden he turns the car back in. <laughs> it's got 5,400 miles on it. But what his explanation was is that him and his younger brother, you know, were looking at college campuses for him to finish his doctorate's degree. Um, Shady. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to believe any of the stories that, that um that he was saying around this time period he was also making a lot of was it i believe it was his ohio family mm-hmm. that he had taken out to dinner prior to all this uh yeah probably like on the second when he flew in he took him yeah. to a place called uh and this is where i got confused because i was like wait are they in big or are they in ohio because he took him to uh china buffet which we have a china buffet here Oh, I'm sure there's a China buffet in every city in America, yeah, sir. And I was like, China yeah. buffet? And then I listened to someone explaining what I guess China buffet in the East Coast is like a chain food restaurant. Oh, like, really? Yeah, like that's a China. But here is just like a one off, like one family owns that shit. Mm-hmm. I thought that's what they meant at first. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, it's relating to the China buffet food chain. It's only in Eastern states, I guess. It's so weird. It feels like bizarre world, even though it's the same con- <laughs> same country, but it's Carl's like. Carl's Jr. is Hardee's out yeah, there. Yeah, Hardee's. And what's, yeah. yeah. It's fucking nuts, man. Yeah. But yeah, that's. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I'm glad you said that though, because um, another part of his alibi was the credit cards. Elena, do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So he pretty much basically gave his brother Melvin access to his credit cards. Um, so it was kind of to establish that alibi. Because um, during the trial, they presented these receipts and tried to say, like, you know, he was you made there. this purchase. It was like out of Walmart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you signed for this and, you know, he's trying to say like, yeah, but really it was, his brother ended up testifying saying that, no, my brother gave me the credit card. I used it. This is what I did. And it was between these times. And during that time, he also stated that he had no idea where his brother was mm-hmm. during the time between July 4th and July 7th. So that kind of poked another hole into brothers' alibi as to where, where was he? Where did he go? He came to see you. But yet now all of a sudden he's gone, but you have his credit card. Yeah. So where'd he go? (laughs) And another shady thing about the brother Melvin is too, is when, um, and I didn't know like Bakersfield police department had like this kind of money, but like when on the eighth, when, um, you know, they found that discovered the family or whatnot, um, the detective ended up that was working this case, ended up flying out to Ohio, uh, to give Vincent the news and, you know, basically to question him, like, hey, like like you mentioned earlier, like, hey, your your house is in country boy crip territory. Like, hey, did you guys have, like, any animosity with anybody in the neighborhood? Like, like who who would be, you know, your suspect on this? Because, you know, the, the detective presented a case, too, where it was just like, hey, you know, if, you know, somebody came to me, you know, flew halfway across the country, you know, tell me my family was murdered and whatnot. Like, hey, I'd be actively, you know, trying to assist them. But, like, Vincent and his brother... We're like, hey, we're not answering any of your questions, you know, until we get a lawyer and was like very defensive and whatnot. And he said that was like the first red flag. And then, you know, when they when he finally, you know, came 
and actually talked to the police and whatnot. Um, he presented like all these things about, you know, hey, the car, you know, uh, was in a car accident and, you know, I had to drive out to, you know, this shop to get it fixed. Yeah, and he hit a bicyclist, right? Yeah. Correct. Which ended up being bullshit because Vincent lied yeah. on the stand like 41 times and he goes, oh, there was no possible way, you know, that I could have done it. I've been in Ohio the whole time. And oh, yeah, by the way, I had these credit card purchases. And even the brother, too, was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he had like that credit card with him. Yeah. Like, you know, just totally like, you know, just repeating, you know, echoing what Vincent was saying. And so, again, credit to um, this Bakersfield police detective. He was like, all right, I'm, where did you spend, you know, this money at? And one of them was Walmart. And stupid ass Walmart, you know, the fuck is going to have, I mean, you can't walk Security down. Security cameras. Yeah, you can't walk down the shampoo aisle and fucking get some Vidal Sassoon without being your ass on camera and shit. So, you know, they they secure the, the videotape. And one of the crazy things is, is, like, Vincent and his brother almost look nothing alike. And so the detective, like, calls, you know, the brother in for a questioning. He's just like, hey, so check this out. Either you're going to tell me the truth or you're going to be charged with an accessory to, accessory to murder because, hey, this is a surveillance footage here. That obviously is not Vincent, and you're forging his name, which is another felony, by the way. And he goes, either you're going to tell me the truth or you're going to be on the stand next. And so I thought that was crazy, too, like, just the stupidity of that. Like, hey, if you're going to use the credit card, yeah, go to the Bakersville <laughs> China Buffet where it's just going to be like a mom and pop shop. Yeah. They're not going to have fucking surveillance footage. Don't go to the biggest corporation in the whole fucking country. You know what? Like, one thing that I, I don't know if we touched on, but like the actual day of the murder, like the way that the murder was executed mm-hmm. after the church, and it seems like everybody was asleep when it happened, all but one is like, I think because like, youngest or second to youngest child mm-hmm. that was like the only one that was awake the reason that they know he was awake was because that he had like bit into his hand so much so that it had like bitten all the way down to the bone and his eyes were wide yeah, open yeah that was the yeah that was the oldest son mark marquez he was five years old woke up was basically what they um kind of like try to figure out that he was scared woke and awake didn't realize who it was because supposedly the person might have had like a dark hoodie on and it was at night probably when it happened so not knowing you know you're a scared little kid in the corner you you just try to do anything not to scream or whichever mm-hmm. shoots him on the side of the head and his eyes are still open according to what um was stated in a police report of how they were found yeah and that's super sad too <laughs> like the whole the whole way, like, the family was found, too. Um, you know, obviously, the other child, you know, was shot in the back. Um, mm-hmm. I believe Marshall. And then Joni, you know, she was shot two times, point blank, execution style. Uh, but was also... And she was also stabbed. Yeah. Which... That's always a crime what, of passion. Like, you're yeah, not going to shoot I was going to say... Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. I know I was going to say, because um, she was really the only one that was found, you know, with stab wounds and and shot so usually from you know what i've gathered you know from criminal justice classes and reading about all this stuff you know defense wounds you know you're trying to you know push somebody away push them away. so maybe he was stabbing her then was like you know what screw it just shoot her mm-hmm. the another thing that i found interesting was that um the mother-in-law ernestine she was found shot twice in the face in the hallway of her bedroom mm-hmm. but she was also strapped with the pistol so she have you know was going to defend herself, but she unfortunately wasn't able to you know defend herself and defend her family before she was you know shot by you know this person 
whatnot. So it just kind of makes you wonder, like, was she kind of like, if it was, you know, if it's Vincent, hey, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, pop, pop, you know, she's gone. Like like a hesitation, kinda, if you will, huh? Yeah. I mean, yeah. obviously, they should have been surprised that he was there to begin with because he should be should have been in Ohio. Yeah. So right. I could see why they would be surprised. And then one thing, too, about the mother-in-law, like, um, like Elena said, she had that pistol and she tried to shoot it, but I guess it like jammed up because I guess they said that the um, that the hammer, you know, it made. Like, I guess like when you shoot this whatever pistol she had, uh, the hammer hit the the paint on the gun um, at a weird angle, and there was still like a bullet lodged in there and whatnot. So it's like she was trying, you know, to defend the family, but you know, she probably a little bit of hesitation because hey, it's Vincent, you know, it's a familiar face, but at the same time, you know, the gun misfires as well. So that that's that's a fucking super sad situation as well on that. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but it, I mean the, the biggest like nail in, in the coffin was the fact that he also had witnesses that saw him around this area mm-hmm. in his neighborhood as well. Yeah. That's the one thing too. Like yeah. I kept asking myself during, um, you know, my research is just like anybody that's ever shot a gun, um, knows that those things are loud as shit. So unless he had like a silencer, which is still going to make some kind of noise, like somebody's going to hear something like I can hear like I have a well-built house, but I can still hear my neighbor like when he's in his front yard fucking smoking a cigarette and calling like the homies and shit on his front yard, front yard and whatnot. Um, a gun is going to be fucking louder than that. So he shot, you know, bo- all three children, you know, his wife twice and then his mother-in-law another two times. So, I mean, somebody's got to hear something. And like you said, Art, you know, they did see, you know, that blue uh, Dodge Neon in the neighborhood as well as himself walking around. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And also kind of, I guess, you know, kind of bringing up that fact, you know, why didn't anybody say anything? You can also factor in, too, that obviously the area that they live in, when you hear gunshots, no one calls, really. Yeah. If you don't see anything, you don't say anything. So it's just kind of like, kind of like the the hood say, yeah. you know, you don't say anything. You like, you just kind of like mind your business unless yeah. like you've seen it happen or if it's like your family member, you know, mm-hmm. who was shot in the front yard, then yeah, people are going to start calling. But if it's, you know, something you go outside, you don't see anything, you're just going to be like, eh, mm-hmm. whatever, just somebody, you know, shooting off their gun in the air and just, which is a common thing in that area. I grew up there. My grandma's house is like the next block over on yeah. the other side of Union. So yeah. And something like that is a very common occurrence. 2003 this is like the middle of that stop snitching movement yeah that's exactly what i was gonna say yeah (laughs) so i could see why that's like extra heightened yeah that's like dude everyone's wearing those stuff i gotta get me one of those stop snitching shirts you know what i'm glad you said that because i know 2003 the biggest song in the fucking country at that time was like 50 cents fucking you know in the club and like half of his songs on there about like hey don't quit snitching you know talking shit about like ja rule and fucking like other rappers and shit so yeah you're absolutely right on that yeah and that's still a mentality too like hey don't snitch like don't go to the cops yeah i mean it it, yeah it's kind of code in the hood but it's it's sad it's unfortunate because Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's so many crimes that are just going unsolved because people refuse to rat anyone out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, it still happens to this day. A lot of people know information. Like some of the, like, <clears throat> was it like last year, you know, Kern County had like over a hundred homicides. Some of them are, are still unsolved to this day. People know something, just people are just afraid to speak up because of retaliation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned it too. Like it's that that's country boy crip territory too. And it's just like mm-hmm. it's that circle of violence that just never ends. Yeah. I I had never heard of country boy crip. Really? Yeah, this is like new to me. Dude, did you take dare yeah. class? 
<laughs> I thought Dare was about drugs. Oh no, our Dare officer like he broke it down, dude. Like he would tell us like where all the drugs were at, like who sold them, like what gangs control what territory and shit. Like, dude, like I became a gang expert like in the sixth grade, dude. I never right. heard of Country Boy Crips. <laughs> yeah, there's Country Boy yeah. Crip, there's Stroller Boy Crip, there's fucking Stroller Boy, Stroller Boy Crip. Yeah, and then there's the West Side Crips. Yeah, West Side Crip, South Crip. Which is there, which is there. The Country Boy Crips and the West Side Crips are two, you know, sworn enemies. Mm-hmm. Wild. This is so crazy. That yeah. It's like in Bakersfield, <laughs> I never heard of it. I don't yeah. really know that much. I just know, like, <laughs> some of the taggings that I see in, like, East Bakersfield. That's all I really know. Yeah. Loma Bakers. <laughs> Oaky Bakers. Speaking of tagging, I saw somebody <laughs> tagged... Um, this thing that said "fuck COVID nineteen, stay blessed." What the fuck? It was the funniest. It's I thought it was hilarious. Funny. Keep doing what you're doing. Whoever did that, I assume that's Alejandro <laughs> doing that. Fucking rascal. But anyways, um, so Vincent is always you know during this time period you know between you know 2003, he's he's a suspect. But everything that we just talked about right now is all circumstantial. You know, it's very hard you know, to get things, you know, on trial, you know, if all you have is just like a hunch, a women, a hunch, but, um, he actually arrested April, I believe 30th, 2004. So about almost a year after the fact. Um, and the only reason why they were able to, you know, get that, you know, arrest to happen is because, uh, the detective, uh, what, um, he contacted Lynn, Kinsey, I want to say, from UC Davis, who was an entomologist uh, professor, professor, which an entomologist is like a bug um, expert, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. And then like Art said, um, he was like, hey, you know, if he drove across country, you know, I'm sure there's going to be some kind of evidence that's going to um, be stuck to this car. And, you know, he, again, flies out to Ohio, you know, God bless the funding for, you know, Bakersfield Police Department, flies out to Ohio um, right before this car is rented again and, you know, secures, you know, the radiator secures, you know, some of the grill parts and whatnot, you know, on this car and submits it to Lynn. And, you know, she starts, you know, doing her due diligence during this whole time period, you know, pulling out bugs. And she said that for the most part, you know, a lot of the bugs that were in there was like your common house fly. And, you know, she was just like, um, I, you know, I don't know what I can find on here, but in, you know, the detective kept pushing like, Hey, there's gotta be some kind of like rare bug that, you know, you can find that, Hey, this is specific to, you know, these general areas. And she goes, well, you know what? I've never done that before, but it sounds like an awesome project. And I can imagine, you know, being a bug expert, like it's gotta be a pretty boring job. So if like a fucking detective fucking tasks you with this, like you're going to be all for it. And so she, you know, she would find different pieces of these bugs and whatnot. And one thing that I thought was interesting is she said that, you know, for the most part, she found a lot of moths as well. Now, moths are a nocturnal bug that you're only going to see, you know, during the night. And she said, I almost found absolutely no butterflies as, as well, like, which is really odd because, you know, it was the summertime that this car was in, in use. And, you know, usually cars, you know, they'll have a lot of butterflies in it. So it indicates that this person exclusively only drove at night and that, hey, fucking, you know, was not, was trying not to be seen. And so she said, you know, little by little, like she started to find, you know, unique bugs. And I believe one of the bugs that she found was it was called a red, uh, red, I red have shank grasshopper. Yeah, there you go. Red shank grasshopper. Yeah which she said that, hey, it was exclusive to, like, the Oklahoma, Texas area. And she goes, there's no way that, you know, this would have been found in Ohio at that time. 
Sorry. Yeah. So it, yeah. So it played into the whole theory that he rented the car, drove to Bakersfield, drove right back. So it, it, like I said, it took 33 hours. It takes 33 hours to get from Columbus, Ohio to Bakersfield. So it is possible that he drove all the way through. Another thing that his defense was um, trying to, you know, get at, you know, if he, you know, did all this, he would be on surveillance at the gas stations. Mm-hmm. It's possible that maybe he had gas tanks in the trunk and just, you know, fill up on the side of the road or mm-hmm. hit these little like mom and pop shops that didn't have surveillances or who knows, you know, of that nature. But yeah, which... yeah, it was um, North Texas and Oklahoma is where that bug was exclusive and that route driving to Columbus and to Bakersfield that whole route goes through that whole area. So it's, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting as well too, is that, you know, Hey, when you drive those routes, like that's, you're not going to have the most up-to-date technology, like, you know, the brother who messed up with the credit card and was caught, you know, (laughs) at Walmart, you know, it's going to be a lot of fucking shit that you see like on, um, uh, what's that Robert Rodriguez movie from Grindhouse? Oh, death proof. Yeah. Death proof. Yeah, Planet Terror, you know, like where they go to like that, it's like a gas station slash barbecue pit or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You'd have a lot of shit like that. So, you know, of course, you know, if he doesn't have the gas tanks, you know, he's going to have... Um, yeah, I the, don't buy the gas tanks. The gas tank itself is like, you know, the one that you would get in a store is probably like one gallon, two gallons. So mm-hmm. you're telling me he has like a yeah. trunk full of those in there? Yeah, yeah so that was it, one of the theories that I found and I thought that was funny. I was just like, mm, mm-hmm. I don't know. He probably, I mean, especially when you're driving through like Oklahoma, North Texas, like that part's all rural. He's going to have so to go to Joe sense. Exotics to get fucking gas. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I mean, right? when, when you're driving from, if he went through Texas, mm-hmm. so just, just from like what I know from the, the drive from like El Paso to San Antonio, you're probably running into like two gas stations there mm-hmm. and they're all mom and pop shops. So they're charging you like $5 a gallon because they know they can. Yeah. And that's like the cheap gas or whatever. So like, yeah, I could see how he could gas up there and there's no surveillance. You know, I could see how that that, that could be doable. But um but yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't buy the gas tank theory. And then not only that, he's driving a Dodge Neon. My mom had one of those cars at that time. Those things are super I mean, they're not reliable, you know, like once they get to like the two or I don't three know year what mark. That car looks like. But they're Google super it. like fuel efficient. You know, you might as well be driving like a Honda, if you will. But I can only see him like maybe gassing up maybe maybe twice at that, if you will. Look at Dodge yeah. Neon. Interesting. Yeah. But <laughs> while you're looking that up, um, another bug that they found was like the true bug. And they said the only way you can find that bug is if it was past the Rocky Mountains. So that indicates too, you know, hey, somebody drove this car out of Ohio and it wasn't any of those, you know, previous four, you know, renters, you know, of that okay. same vehicle as well. And um, the next bug that they found, because again, they were saying this is taking place from you know from July of 2003 all the way up to April 2004. Um, they still didn't really have enough evidence to place Vincent there at the time of the murder. But you know the the one thing that they were able to find that was kind of like a smoking gun was the paper wasp. And they said that the paper wasp is exclusive basically only to the Southern Valley, which places Vincent in Bakersfield during that time period. Yeah. So, so that was yeah. So that was another big key and like it you know all of this just makes sense like Mm -hmm. driving through going back home and another thing um that was brought up too was um i don't know if it was mentioned regarding his cell phone um there were cell phone records indicating that there was calls placed to his phone and it was in ohio but it was made from the residents of the harper residence around the time that the murders took place oh wow 
So it's kind of just goes into like maybe he, you know, called his cell phone from the house just to make it seem like that. Hey, you know, like I was in Ohio. There was no way. But you just kind of miss that key because when you look at cell phone records, you can see where it's coming from and who it's going to. So like it like pings towers if not. Yeah, because um, I've seen, you know, like cell phone records and all that stuff. But and you could see it like where, you know, where it's placed to. So it was placed in Ohio via GPS of his phone, and the call came from this phone number, which I'm assuming was a landline, you know, that stated that it was from Bakersfield. So that was kind of like another key that played into um, poking a hole into his alibi. Oh, wow. I didn't see that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was like, it was, I think I found that one through the Californian, because I remember there wasn't besides the whole bug alibi thing mm-hmm. um it was the cell phone records that poked another thing so it, i mean who else would call a cell phone from the you know the victim's home you know to your cell phone in ohio like that doesn't make sense you're trying to lie about that like no dude so he had his cell phone in ohio yeah he yeah he left it in ohio oh wow and, and then all those calls going to his his cell phone was from the Harper residence. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. So wait, so his cell phone was in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And where was he making the phone calls from? From the house, the Harper residence in Bakersfield. Oh, okay. Like after the time frame that, um, like they placed the, like the murders happening. Yes. Oh wow. They said the call, the call to his cell phone, um, on the day of the murders there was a call that went in at 4 p.m. that day. So that kind of gives them a kind of like a time frame of when exactly the murders happened. Which is crazy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now I get what you're saying. So because going back on, you know, the murder day, um, you know, the family was at church and I believe they ate lunch at Black Angus, if you will. So like around, you know, let's say 11, 12, if if not. And then they had like evening church. And uh, one of the people that was commenting on our friend's post was saying that, hey, you know, the evening church started at six, so they didn't show up to evening church. That that would explain, you know, that time frame. Like, hey, that's why they didn't show up to church because obviously they were murdered between, you know, the time they were at Black Angus, which would would been like what twelve thirty, if you will. They have terrible service, right. so I'm serving, you know, assuming, you know, if they yeah. ate lunch at like right. fucking like <laughs> fucked up their blooming onion. Yeah, there's a fucked up looking blooming onion. So they were probably there for like an hour and a half. So between like the hours of one p.m. and six p.m., you know, something happened there. And if there was a phone call that you know went from their residence to the cell phone, yeah, okay, I see, I get you now. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah, so that was like another, you know, like so, why? Like first, if you're trying to get away with something, why would you call your cell phone from yeah. your house? But I, you know. And it all plays into I'm not that. A murderer, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, neither of us are. But it all plays into right. like it's like obvious, like you know, like when you catch somebody lying, and you know, you can tell like in their head, like it made sense in their head, like you know what they were, you you know, the lie that they're about to tell. Like there's so many holes in this. Like you know, everything from you know the rented car. Like hey, why are why are you renting from this janky ass? You know, uh, you know, rent a car station. Like there's a fucking hurts. You know, and like you can. Where, where, what state was he in when he rented that car? Uh, Ohio. Okay. Yeah, like, why would you rent from there? Like, straight from the airport. Like, the airport, like, no matter where... Which Ohio, they always have, like, a great international airport because that's, you know, middle America. You know, that's where a lot of international flights come in and out of. So there's always going to be, like, a good, you know, rent-a-car place there. 
he's again he's a vice principal so there's no reason why he has to be on a budget to you know rent this car uh why is your brother you know at walmart you know using your credit card like why are these cell phone pinging you know from bakersfield to you know your home in ohio or whatever so you start to see like all these flaws and it, it builds up the case you know that hey circumstantially which is really hard to do you know, to convict somebody of, you know, murder, you know, cap, you know, first degree murder, um, you know, with just this evidence, like there's no smoking gun, you know, they don't have the knife, you know, they don't have the actual pistol that he used, you know, to kill all these people. So, I mean, it's a very daunting task, but like Art and I were talking before this podcast, um, texting back and forth about, it's just like, Hey, it's pretty much like open and shut because all you got to do is convince all 12 jurors that this man do it, did it. And with all of this evidence that we just talked about, like it was very plain and plain and clear, you know, that, hey, this dude drove, went to Ohio, drove 33 hours, you know, killed his whole family and then drove all the way back. But the question still remains is like, why would you do that? Like, Elena, you're a brand new mom. You know, I'm a brand new dad. Like yeah. I would never, mm-hmm. you know, he killed, you know, a five-year-old and a, and a two-year-old. So a five-year-old, a two-year-old, and a six-week-old. Yeah. And like my daughter's, you know, three months old and just, I can like, I can't even imagine. And just rereading it, it, it really hit home because, you know, here's my little girl and, you know, while I'm, you know, she's sleeping and I'm reading this. I'm just like, like you know, who? astounded and shocked and who, you know, what kind of person, you know, would do this, mm-hmm. you know, somebody with a sociopathic personality and that, you know. Again, you guys were mentioning, you know, that narcissistic attitude. And that's one of the things about a sociopathic person is that they're very narcissistic. They think, you know, they're above everything. They can get away with everything. Everyone loves them and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And they have this kind of like, you know, suave, you know, personality. And what would be the motive behind that? And, you know, um, the prosecutor at the time was Lisa Green, who ended up being um, our district attorney before um, she retired. Um painted this picture as, you know, brothers was this adulterer, you know, was in this financial burden, you know, had this family, he wanted to get rid of his family so he didn't have to, you know, pay child support, mm-hmm. pay spousal support, wanted to be single, you know, still playing into that womanizer thing. And I thought an interesting thing was while this case was happening, months prior to this happening, and maybe he had an, you know, maybe he had an influence from this person. Maybe, you know, he kind of got the idea was Scott Peterson. Scott Peterson happened around the same time as Vincent Brothers. Scott Peterson, you know, murdered his wife um, Christmas of 2002. He was arrested in April of 2003. Here you have Vincent Brothers, you know, who was, you know, committed these crimes in July of 2003, was caught in 2004. So I just kind of curious, you know, like maybe... Well, if he can, you know, try to get away with murder and trying to get rid of his family, trying to get, you know, rid of this person because Scott Peterson, you know, had extramarital affairs, was telling people that he was single. He didn't have, a, you know, just, you know, never played into like he was a married person with the baby on the way. Wow. So I, I thought that was kind of like, you know, kind of like an interesting thing of why would somebody do this? Mm-hmm. Scott, the whole Scott Peterson case was such a huge national story that maybe he was trying to do what he, what Scott was doing. So, like subconsciously, I that maybe was kind of like an interesting kind of thing. Like that planted the seed subconsciously. Would you say? Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I mean, I, I still like I, I. You know, I look at my baby like 
what he's eight weeks old you know two weeks older yeah. than you know marshall you know the six week old that was found dead mm-hmm. um I, I couldn't imagine even you know spanking my kid right now even though like right? hey, you know once it gets older I, I yeah i'm gonna have to <laughs> right but i always feel bad like yelling at my daughter because like trying to feed her is like a task and a half and then trying to burp her is trying to burp a wet fish because she's always <laughs> struggling to get out and i'm like what are you doing and yeah. i'm like tapping her little butt just so she settles down but she's still you know like flying all over the place but i could never imagine like wanting to harm my child yeah like that's like there's something missing in you like and that's just mm-hmm. scientific fact um there's another documentary on netflix you can tell what i've been doing you know during this whole like uh, covid19 <laughs> uh lockdown just watching documentaries if you will but like it's about you know the chemical response you know in the brain you know when um you know parents you know experience a, a newborn for the first time their own young um and this is mm-hmm. you know survivalism right here where it's just like you there's some chemical that automatically is produced in the brain where it's just like all you want to do is protect this child all you want to do is make sure no like no harm befalls them and you know you just you know that's why we always you know do gaga doo doo poo poo you know uh noises to the baby because hey we just want to make sure that they're good they're happy and they're sound and there's just says something to vincent brothers for him just to be you know divorced from whole, that whole feeling like there's there's something chemically just off about this person for him to be able to do it not only to the older children but the six-week-old that just came into right. this world right absolutely and then another thing too um during that trial so i was able to find you know footage of him so they had asked you know like who are your family members and he names Joni ernestine and the kids and he's crying you know he's in tears he's distraught he shows that emotion but yet, as you see video going past, you know, like the trial, like months into, you know, months into it, you know, he just has kind of like this smirk personality. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the um, Bakersfield, Californian col- columnists actually made a comment about his smirk. Like, why are you smirking? You're on a murder trial. Like, mm-hmm. you're trying to defend yourself and here you are just being smug. Yeah. Like, that, you know, that obviously has that disconnect that he I- has within him. I think he also already kind of knew that the police were watching him. Uh, going back all the way to the funeral, um, he he played up the act of like being like this hurt father during the funeral. Like he was just bawling, crying during the funeral. He was at the front front row of the funeral. The funeral itself sounds like depressing as hell because I think how many people died altogether? I think it was five total, right? Five. five. So yeah. they only had like four caskets there because mm-hmm. like the mom was holding the infant child in her grave and it was just so de- fucking depressing like mm-hmm. and he's putting up an act i think he knows that the police are watching him and he's trying to like mm-hmm. put up this the Fun. act yeah you know like it's it's Wait. a total act to 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 be in that situation um and he knows it he he's he wants you know compassion on his side he wants people to be sympathetic towards towards his cause mm-hmm. or whatever and I think that's the way we've been trained to feel during, during, during those moments. Mm-hmm. Even though there's really no right or wrong way to react in those moments, um, right. but but that's the way like we've been like trained to that you're supposed to act. So he acted that way, and like obviously it was all probably crocodile tears. Maybe he did feel something, mm-hmm. but the, but for the most part it was probably all like crocodile tears and didn't mean shit to him, and he was just happy he got away with it. At and, that time. And even too, like, um, 
maybe the, if they were real tears, maybe it was just like, hey, this is just my final goodbye. And even maybe tears of, as sick as it sounds, maybe even tears of joy, because like we've established, you know, he's, you know, he's a Lothario, you know, he just like wants to, you know, spread his seed all over the place. And, you know, like Elena was saying, you know, what Lisa Green was talking about was that, hey, he wanted to be, you know, free from the responsibilities of, hey, potential alimony, potential child support, or, hey, shoot, he's already got three children, you know, under his household right now, and he has uh, another two, you know, outside of this marriage, if you will, if not more, you know, and, you know, that all, that all is going to financially catch up with you. You might be a fucking vice principal of Emerson, but you're not the principal. You're not the, you know, fucking mayor of fucking Bakersfield. Like, you know, that's right. all going to catch up to you and whatnot. And so maybe in his, um, in his mind, it was just like a little bit of like, hey, you know what? I mean, he had to have some kind of love, you know, for them. You know, I, he's not the fucking the devil here, but at the same time, maybe it was, you know, tears of sadness, but also maybe tears of joy as well. And that's the sick part of it as well, you know, because afterwards, a lot of people would see him out in the community a lot like O.J. Simpson, where he's just like, I'm, you know, going to dedicate myself to finding the real killer out there, whatever. He'd be like at the gym. Uh, He would be, you know, on the basketball court, you know, just, you know, smiling it up because he was Mm -hmm. a very public figure at this time. And, you know, you would see him you know, just smiling, having a good time, taking photos with people like a celebrity, like a local Bakersfield celebrity, if you will, like, which is mm-hmm. sad, sad in itself. But like, you know, he, I, I believe he was like an, on administrative leave during this time as well, where he would just like grade uh, papers for, um, you know, teachers that needed help and whatnot. And um, some of the... <laughs> some of the kids' uh, parents were just like, hey... Um, we don't want you, we don't want to attend this school while, you know, this person is still employed. And, you know, he, you know, he still had that rock of, hey, like, I'm, you know, I I just got away with murder, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and that was another thing, too. Um, just, yeah, that whole persona. Because I remember, obviously, you know, the local news, you have this big case and that's all that they're going to do. They're just going to follow this person around, follow this person around and. That's exactly, you know, mm-hmm. what he did and just trying to, I guess, you know, find some sense of normalcy within it. But yet at the same time, like here you have this target on your back. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like, you know, everything was just like, I don't want to say business as usual, but it was just like for somebody mm-hmm. that just lost like, you know, the the people that he loved the most in this world. Like it, it seemed like, you know, Art and I, we've gotten deep on this podcast before, you know, where it's just like something like that hasn't happened to us, but it's like, we're still like dealing with the scars, like of, you know, our dark periods and whatnot. And it wasn't even half as bad as losing, you know, most all, almost all of our family, if you will. And, you know, it just seems like he was just moving on, you know, and that I think played a lot into like the jury's decision as well to convict him. Right. Absolutely. And I think another thing too, like, and you know, he went on the witness stand, you know, for most people, that's like one thing you don't do in, trying to defend yourself because a you're in front of all these people i mean obviously you know if you guys have never been in front of a camera before you just kind of get this like you know stage fright feeling and Mm -hmm. the same thing if you've been on the witness stand i've been on the witness stand numerous times because of the position that i have 
you know, I have to, you know, testify, you know, on certain things. And it's nerve wracking, even if they're asking you the most simplest questions, <laughs> as if it's just asking, what's your name? You're just like, uh, yeah, Elena, <laughs> it's, even- just, it's really nerve wracking because you have all these people staring at you. Plus the, the um, plus the person, you know, who is accused of this crime and they're just like staring dead at you and you're just like, dude, I hope you forget what I look like. Don't see me in the streets. Don't catch me outside. <laughs> don't do nothing because it's freaking nerve wracking. And so here you are going on a witness stand trying to, you know, defend yourself and you're lying, you're stumbling, you're doing all this thing. So, it's, and then you're just proving and showing the jury like, oh yeah, this dude's totally lying. Yeah. He's totally doing it to this because you see it in front of your face versus if you would have never defended himself. So I think that kind of like played another role into obviously. Yeah. It's almost like he, he took joy and, and, uh, being up there, you know, being the center of attention, mm-hmm. like you said, he would smirk right. a lot. Like they would ask him questions, and he would take great joy in explaining in detail, like you know, some of his extra extra marital affairs, if you will. And then you know, they would talk about like you know the murder, if you will, and like he would just sit up there and he would smirk. So I think that a lot of that too, like played into uh, you know Man. the jury's decision. And that's on his fucking defense team. Like for why are they going into his extra marital affairs? Like. Dang, his defense team sounds really shitty. Yeah. I'll say this. Like, all right, whatever. If he's guilty, whatever, that's one thing. But goddamn, that defense team sounds fucking shitty. Like, <laughs> like you don't yeah. have to get into that. He's no. on murder for tra- he's on trial for murder, not on fucking trial for like adultery. Adultery. Like right. fucking ninety percent of the population is that's like Mar- like okay look the divorce rate in this country is like fucking high as hell mm-hmm. that's not because most of it is like you're probably a shitty dude or you cheated on your wife like then motherfuckers would be in in jail all the time for like adultery and all this shit you know like mm-hmm. he's not on trial for that why are they letting it get to that point that just sounds like a bad defense team that he had mm-hmm. uh, all i'm yeah, saying like the thing with oj you know oj had you know this dream team of you know attorneys you know he you know, the prosecutor, you know, portrayed, you know, OJ, you know, with all this abuse that went on with, you know, him and Nicole and all these, you know, facts. But the key thing that his attorneys did, A, don't let him on the stand because they're going to rip you apart. And B, as your defense attorney, you have all this information coming from the prosecution. They were able to poke holes into their, you know, mm-hmm. evidence and all this stuff that's coming out. So they were able to flip the table around and make the prosecution side you know, make them, you know, make them look incompetent to where it made OJ look like he didn't do nothing. Like, what are yeah. you guys talking about? Prose- you know, the prosecution side, they have all this evidence, but yet there's all these holes that they were able to peck into. And ultimately what led to OJ getting away with murder. Whereas you have Vincent Brothers as attorneys and they didn't do anything to really <laughs> defend him. No. They just like let him up there and just kind of like, well, sorry, you're going to, you know, San Quentin on your death penalty. Yeah, it sounds like a really shady defense. Even when you brought up the whole, like the insects or whatever, and that mm-hmm. guy being like, I've never done this before, but all right. Like I would have been, right. if I was on his defense team, I'm like, this motherfucker's yeah. never done this before. Why are we acknowledging, why are we introducing new science to this one case? And, yeah. <laughs> right. and I, I would have been like, okay, let's take that out. Let's take the affairs out. Let's. He's not on trial for affairs. He's not on trial for like whoever the fuck rented this car before him. Yeah. He's not on trial for those people. We we can't link him to the gas stations. So find me footage that he was in a different state. Uh-huh. Like there's so many things. And yeah, he could have just let his brother borrow his gas car. All I'm saying is he had a really shady defense team. He probably did it. I think that he probably did it. I think we can all agree that he probably did this. Mm-hmm. And he's full of shit and he's super narcissistic. But goddamn, that defense team should be like fired. They're like, you're fired right now. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> he got one of those attorneys that just like it's like dial three budget, three three budget three, insurance three, three. or budget. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, um, Los defendores. <laughs> I'm gonna call those left and door. Like always like on like when you like watch Maury and like that's that one lawyer who's <laughs> always on there from like our childhood. Yeah, fucking uh, fuck! I can't even think of the name. All I know is it's like you just dial all threes or whatever. It's yeah. just like, yeah. have you been accused of drinking and driving? It's called three 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 three, and I'll get you. <laughs> he shows up. He's all blindsided. He's like, I thought you got arrested for drinking and driving. Fuck. You didn't tell me anything about murder. <laughs> oh, he did it, Your Honor. Oh, he, he probably did it. He cheated yeah. on his wife, probably too. Yeah. It's Larry H. Parker. There, there, there you go. On yeah. TV for like ever. Yes. Oh my God, dude. Fuck. I'm surprised he's still alive. But, <laughs> right. <laughs> but anyway, speaking of still being alive, uh, Vincent was. Um, you know, he was um, convicted May 15th, 2007 for first degree murder for all five um, of the victims that we talked about, um, you know, during, um, at, well, after the... Um, the Did he confess he, at this point? No, he's never confessed. Oh, wow. Uh, but his daughter, Margaret Kern Brothers, you, you know, later on dropped, you know, the brothers, you know, that's, you know, they let everybody, you know, speak to Vincent, you know, in the courtroom, you know, after the conviction came down. And this is where she said, you know, hey, you know, from this day forward, I am no longer Margaret Kern Brothers, but just Margaret Kearns. You know, this will be the last time I see my father. The next time I see you is, you know, when they're, you know, injecting you with a lethal injection dose. Um, and, yeah, it was just like I guess it was a very heartfelt um, um, scene because, you know, have all these people just pouring out their heart. You know, you had Joni's brothers, you know, people in the community, you know, from their church. And whatnot, just saying like, hey, how could you do this? You know, she was such a, you know, angel, if you will. Um, and then, you know, the whole time is just like he's just stone faced, like he's showing no emotion, showing no remorse and smirking, you know, at these people, if you will. And then later on, you know, May 29th, um, there was a failed escape on Vincent's part where, you know, he <laughs> they asked him, you know, to put on, I guess, like leg restraints. I don't know why they would have him put on his own leg restraints but i guess like he he did it to where he only had um the restraints on one leg basically making it like useless it's like putting handcuffs on just only one arm and then he hid like a homemade uh handcuff key in his little baby afro that he had and um i guess try to escape uh, authorities so um What, what prison is he in lardo oh okay yeah <laughs> the holding facility for all of uh bakersfield but um Later on, in September 29th, uh, he was sentenced to his death and then transferred to San Quentin, where he has been ever since, and who is there right now today. Crazy. Well, side with Scott Peterson. Well, Pete's <laughs> listening. Shout out, Vincent. Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> no, don't keep doing what you're doing. What are you saying? <laughs> if he's in prison, he starts killing other prisoners and whatever. Okay, yeah, it takes it off our hands, <laughs> the taxpayers' hands, if yeah. you will. But, um, yeah, yeah, so. I'm surprised he's still alive, like. Because usually, you know, the thing is when you do something, you know, a crime against a child, mm-hmm. you know, you're like the automatic target within prison. So I'm surprised nothing has happened to him. They're probably protecting him a lot, especially if it's a more high profile case or probably mm-hmm. he's in isolation at all times. Because at this point, anytime you can kill someone like that, it gives you a little more status inside of prison. So mm-hmm. one thing true. I'll say, though, too, is just that he was sentenced in 2007. It is currently, you know, 2020 right now. Yeah, obviously, you know, appeals have to go through and whatnot, but um, I just wanted to get, like, real quick to wrap up your thoughts um, on this episode. Like, where do you guys stand, you know, with that whole process with the death penalty? I, am no, I was reading on penalty. that because, um, you know, I thought about the same thing, you know, 
on here, the article that I had pulled up regarding um, the death penalty, you can appeal for however many long. And I found an article that these current attorneys now are just appealing every little single thing about, you know, his past, what his past attorneys did. And it just delays the whole process and why it takes forever for somebody to die on death row. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it takes, you know, five years, you know, to file the complaint and then for it to be heard and to get dismissed. And then you bring up another issue. So you just keep doing all these appeals and it's pretty unlimited to as many as you can do. So that's the reason why it takes forever for someone just to even be lethally injected. Mm-hmm. And so in, it's just kind of like a, it's like a whole process. For me, it's like, it's a waste. Like, why are you doing this? Like, I know you're trying to prove something, but you're just making all these asinine, you know, remarks and trying to, you know, pull every little thing out of the sky. Nothing's going to work. You might as well just, you know, kind of like live with it. Mm-hmm. In, in California, he's probably never going to get there anyways. It, it's mm-hmm. it's just not going to happen. I don't even understand. Like, the death penalty is more of a figure of speech. In some states, it's different. But in California, it's more of a figure of speech because you you can't keep appealing it until mm-hmm. forever and just keep going down that road. And and even then, it would still just be like the state of California. When's the last time somebody was actually executed in the state of California? The only person yeah. I know of is Tookie Williams, like the founder of the. Yeah, Crips. That he was. Yeah, he was the last person who was executed. Okay, and, it, and it's just like it's so like you know it's such a blue moon. Like it's more of a figure of speech at this point. I do think that because. Your appeals are different. I, th- I think they're different whenever you go on on death row, because um, I think you they give you those like unlimited appeals at that point. And I don't think you get unlimited appeals when you're not on death row or something like when you're just sentenced to life. It changes. Mm-hmm. It's just so so weird that there's like different appeal systems to whatever you've been sentenced. Um, but I don't know. I, I just I don't see the point in it. I don't see the point in like just having like this figurative like. What's the difference between sending some, sentencing someone to life in prison and death, like sentencing them to death, like being on death row? It's, it's not like it's going to happen the next day anyways. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, I, I think her daughter, his daughter saying like, well, next time I'll see you, I'll be on death. That's probably never going to happen. Like, yeah. it's just not going to happen. I, um, I know it's kind of a waste. Like, if you're talking about it, like in the taxpayer money way, it's it's just, it's a waste. It's a waste to even have that, like. But I mean, the whole prison system, the way it's set up, is is a lot of it is just a big waste of money. We have people in there that are just in there for a smoking pot. Yeah, yeah. We have people in there that are, or people that are not in there that are just like home arrest that have like stole millions of dollars, and we're just giving them home arrest in their in their mansions. We have we have dudes in there that just stole a TV. Yeah, and it's like that's a whole different argument. But like, you know, if you're arguing the the money wise, then it's like don't. I always hate the money wise argument because it's really just meant Heartless. to keep. It's it's really meant to keep a lot of minorities, and minorities are the ones that are affected the most by the prison system in general. So it's just, you know, I have a bunch of issues with it. I am really against the death penalty just because there has been so many cases where people have been taking off death penalties just because they found new evidence. You know, mm-hmm. you, you talked about that one, the Curve Your Enthusiasm episode where the guy was sentenced and then they found footage of him at a Dodgers game. Correct, yeah. Like, that's one case alone. Like, one already... Sh- if we're having such an extreme like thing, an extreme punishment, and we've already found one, then there's already so, the flaw in your system. So I say get rid of it. Like there's no mm-hmm. no reason we have this extreme punishment when there's flaws in that. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm against it. So like with that said, that's your on and Elena. What would be your um your thought just on the death penalty in general? You know, for me, you know, being familiar with the whole system, you know, I think it's pointless. I don't think it's anything you know to have. You know kind of playing into what art said, you know, it's the same kind of thing you have, you know, 
all these different factors. You know, people who are on three strikes, you know, they've gotten their third strike for stealing, a, you know, a candy bar. Yeah. And here they are, you know, prison for life. So it, it it's that whole distant kind of like trying to find the word to say, but it takes away like the whole, you know, reason for the, you know, prison system because it is, you know, to put those minorities in in certain things yeah you do have your ones that commit crimes and yeah you do have the ones who are constantly committing crimes you also do have the ones who rather be in prison than to be out in the outside world i've ran into so many people that have said i'd rather be in prison than be out in the you know mm-hmm. in the outside because you get everything inside prison you get your three meals you get a place to sleep you have somebody always kind of like catering to you and like with the whole death penalty it's like what's the point if this appeal takes for so long and it's just like having a life sentence for prison. So you might as well just get rid of it. There's no point. Mm-hmm. And just then, let them, you know, just let them roam around, you know, right. the prison society will take care of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just let, yeah. Let the animals take <laughs> care of them. Yeah. Um, I think honestly for me, you know, it's one of those things where art brought up a, a you know, a, a really good point where it's like you find that one person, you know, we talked about um, that guy that got, you know, he f- was at a Dodgers game and, mm-hmm. you know, that was, you know, saved him, you know, from the death penalty, if you will, um, for a crime that he didn't commit, you know, like, yeah, that's just one too many that was in the system that shouldn't have been there. And, you know, what if you know, that episode of Kirby enthusiasm was never, you know, filmed at Dodger stadium, you know, that guy would have been, you know, sentenced to death and perhaps would have died you know, maybe, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, if you will. But that's still like, that's like a heavy burden to hold over, you know, the people of, you know, the state of California, because that's ultimately, that's blood on all of our hands at that point. You know, this, mm-hmm. whenever you, you know, go to court, it's always the people of California or the people of Wyoming or the people of Utah or whatever state you're in, you know, versus this individual. And that's blood on our hands, you know, and I don't want mm-hmm. that kind of blood on my hands. Uh, but at the same time, it's one of those things where i perhaps have a foot in both sides where it's just like okay this guy let's just say he did do it like let's say they did find a smoking gun let's say they had you know the first ring you know home security camera ever you know in in all four corners of the bedroom you know where this you know murder took place you know you have him actually there you know you see where he dumps the gun and his fingerprints are on it and whatnot let's just say all that like you know for sure 100 percent sure that this is the man who did it it's hard to say, you know, like I said, with, you know, an eight week year old baby, you know, like if hey, my girlfriend fucking, you know, killed my child, like, yeah, like I, you know, I want your life should end for doing that. But it's one of those things like, well, it's hard to ever have a hundred percent certainty on these things. So living in the state of California where it's like you guys laid well, out. The- let me ask you that. Cause you say should, like, it's like a definitely should like that. Do you think that would be like a punishment? Cause I'll be honest with you. I think, just from like what I've experienced in life, there's worse things than death. And like, I don't think that there, I don't, I think I would rather die than like live multiple years in prison. Like that, mm-hmm. if you gave me the option, like, dude, I get to go to sleep and not wake up. Cool. Sign me up. Cause I'd rather take that than live the next like 50 years and like die of some disease that I gain like later on in life. To me, it's not even close. Like mm-hmm. just from the things that I've experienced in my life and things that I've seen, there are worse things than like dining in and by execution, and that might be true for you. But I think some people, like Elena said, you know, hey, they they thrive, you know, in prison. You know, that's where they want to be. You know, um, yeah. But I think those are people that are like, once you're in that system, once you when those are people that are just like, I think that's a different case. Like, there's people mm-hmm. like, 
like a Vincent Brothers. I don't think a Vincent Brothers is a guy that's designed for prison mm-hmm. in the sense that people are going to go after him because of because of who he is. But there are definitely people that are in gangs that definitely thrive in prison because it's so structured structured to the point where the minute you get out it's different and he he doesn't fit in that like mm-hmm. there are people that are like like a dude like um like the Lacey peterson case or whatever that guy is not a guy that's structured for for prison like it's a different thing it's it's they're, they're apples and oranges like these two cases this is a guy that's totally narcissistic that i think it's better off for him like if i think if he were to just be you know that movie seven yeah <laughs> you know like that guy's ultimate goal was like if if he didn't die at the very end of it, like the whole thing is like messed up. Yeah. So I always think that you know it's better off to just. I think some people it's it's they rather just like end it now, like mm-hmm. than to because. I think c- though with Vincent though, like I know, I know you're bringing up really good points, but I think with Vincent, even just the fact that like he has all these appeals you know, going through tells me that like, Hey, he doesn't want that. Like, like what you're insinuating that like, yeah, Hey, I don't like, think he wants to be in prison. No, no. Yeah. Or even, you know, to be put to death at that point, like he's trying to extend it as much as possible. So, I mean, that tells me right there, like, let's say he did do it. Let's just assume, you know, a hundred with a hundred percent certainty, you know, cause it's, it's not a hundred percent certain. Like there's some very convincing, you know, evidence here, but you know, not a hundred percent certainty that he did it, but let's just live in that world that it was that, Hey, there's something there. He's trying to preserve, you know, he's trying to, you know, find life. Even Tookie Williams, the last person that was, you know, put to, to death, like he was still, you know, trying to fight, you know, his very last, you know, appeal to the end. You know, he even had, you know, people like Snoop Dogg, you know, you know, the whole hip hop community basically trying to come out for him, you know, just to, you know, get that one last gasp of like, hey, like give him 15, give him his last 15 years, let him live out his life, if you will. So that, that speaks to that as well, where it's just like, hey, if he was more comfortable, like just, you know, with that lethal injection, you know, just not waking up the next day, then why file all these appeals too? So that's where I am with that. But I mean, I think, I think he knows he's never going to get to the point. Like in California, it's just so he's probably going to be like in his late seventies by the time that they're like, if, if it's yeah. still legal by then, yeah. he'll probably be in his late seventies by the time. And if he just had no appeals, right. If he just said like, fuck it, I'm not going to appeal anything. This is like death probably won't happen until he's like in his late seventies. I think at that point he's yeah. realizing I don't want to live through this. Like I don't want to mm-hmm. live through more days of just like watching, making sure that nobody rapes me mm-hmm. or like stabs me to death. Like that that fear and like that anxiety that he's probably going through every day is probably what the cause of all the appeals. Not the, the lethal injection. I think the lethal injection would be like fuck it. If it were tomorrow, I think he would have been like done. All right, let's just do it. Like you guys won this case or whatever, like. <laughs> but I and I think that that's that's. I don't know about that. I don't know if he's he's, you know, doing that. But I mean, at again, I don't I, know. I haven't been able to inter. We haven't been able to interview Vincent Brothers. No, yet. I know, I know. I'm just saying. Like, I just think the <laughs> the majority of prisoners, if you went to prisoners that are in death row and that you asked them, like, mm-hmm. well, I'm, I'm sure a majority would say that they're innocent. <laughs> but and I think yeah. the other majority would probably say, "Fuck it, let's just end it now." Like, yeah, I don't think that there is. I think the the fact that they're having to go through this system now of like constantly like being in day out day in like this and and he doesn't seem like he was a a gang member and and prisons no. are prisons are a different animal altogether like you might not be a gang member but the people that thrive in there you have to be part of a system you can't just go in there and not join something like like if you went to prison you would be probably asked to join like the Aryan Brotherhood like you would have to do Fuck. it like you you would have to do it like you would have to shave your head. Or if not, then you're constantly on tippy toes. And even if you join the Aryan Brotherhood, like you'd still be on tippy toes. That if you don't do what they tell you to do, like that's still like, hey, this dude's gonna get raped. 
like that's the that's the life in prison like life in prison is not mm-hmm. like not everybody thrives in it because not everybody's willing to do the dirt that you're asked to do in prison and that's what i mean like i don't think he seems like that kind of guy he seems like the guy that wants to be in charge wants to be the boss and i think he would quickly find out that he's not the boss in prison just saying like i don't yeah. think i don't think guys like that like thrive it'd be interesting to see uh what life is like for vincent in prison but hey fuck it like even like manson didn't thrive like manson was like fucking oh he got special treatment up all yeah, the way he up was and just down. in a cage by himself at all time like he, yeah. he didn't thrive like he till his like dying breath people were still trying to stab him to death or rape him yeah. like they had to protect him so much from him yep. from like everything around him mm-hmm. i'm just saying yeah all right well, fuck it. We are an hour and 30 minutes into this episode. Elena, thank you so much for coming on and, you know, giving your perspective you and your thank expertise. You. Of course. Um, do you have anything else you want to shed light on in this case? Um, not really other than you did it. And I think, <laughs> and I, I still seriously think like if anybody wants, you know, you know, to go with my theory, I really think he had the influence from Scott Peterson. I'm still sticking to that story. And that's my little conspiracy theory that I'm going with. <laughs> hey, maybe, maybe they, there was a little uh, egg they got planted in his head and it hatched one July morning. You know what trips me yeah. out though? And it, it just hit me the fact that this is all happening in July. Like when he murdered his family and crime usually goes up during the hotter months. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine yes. if we were in lockdown? Like if this was happening right now, like the whole coronavirus, and we were in like the middle of July, like how much the crime rate would go up, like spousal abuse and all this shit. Like we're so lucky that this is happening right now in like March, April. Like, but if this is still going on in like late May, we might be in trouble. I know. But like right now, it, like, it gives me work to do. That's all I have to say. So, you know, keep committing those crimes, y'all. <laughs> no, don't. I just, I just okay, feel lucky I'm, that we're yeah, like I'm right just... now in like early stages of April right now where the weather is still like beautiful and we're still getting like rain from time yeah. to time. And not only that, the PG&E bill, like fucking, can you imagine that PG&E bill, that electric bill fucking in July if we were on lockdown? Mode? Oh my God, dude. Fuck that. that this would, this is like summer of Sam shit. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with all the weird things that were going yeah. on during the summer of Sam that happened just because people were locked up, like locked up in their power own homes. But it was, yeah, like the power outages and like the paranoia <laughs> that was going on. Like this feels like that, like a massive version of the summer of Sam, like worldwide version of the summer of Sam, which is like fucking nuts. But it's not hot, so I guess I'm thankful for that. Hell yeah. <laughs> this Thanksgiving, you can give praise to Jesus for that, man. Thank you, Jesus. So uh, with that said, everybody, uh, make sure you go to all the social medias out there. Um, we are at Art and Jacob Do America on the Instagram, on the Facebook, on the Twitter. We no longer have that TikTok because this boy over here, he sent me a fucking video of fucking Congress talking about how China fucking owns TikTok and they're selling all our keystrokes and shit. So oh, man. That was I, not even why. I was like just anti like, dude, I'm fucking in my 30s now. I don't need to be on TikTok. That's some pedophile shit. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no longer, there's no longer R and Jacob do American TikTok, but you can still check out that video of me singing that Joe Exotic song, if you will, on YouTube and whatnot. But um, with that said, you know, join the Facebook group, join the Patreon, where you can sign up for one dollar and support us. I swear to God, Patreon is not owned by China. I think it's owned by like fucking somebody in fucking Ohio or something, not the brothers family. Um, but yeah, you can support us there. Go to Caveman Coffee. Use promo code America for fifteen percent off. That helps support the show as well, so you can get better uh, quality videos and audio, and you know, guests like Elena that can come on. Dude, thank you so much for coming on. Of course, thank you guys for having me. And um, when this whole fun. lockdown thing is over, uh, you have to come down to the studio. Yep, absolutely. I will be there. 
<laughs> like little Michael Jackson. As I'm corn, right? As, as I'm quarantined in my little, my daughter's nursery room with, you know, the cat trying to take over her bed. Yeah. <laughs> we'll do some more true crime. And you should check out My Favorite Murder if you're into podcasts. Start an episode one. Don't start yeah. with the new shit. Yeah. I will. You know, people give me a lot of stuff to do. And then I'm like, I don't have time, you know, having a newborn and working and trying to keep a house up. But I'll, I'll find time. I'll, I'll check it out. <laughs> Strap on those headphones, baby. Uh, so with that said, Art, <laughs> do you have anything else? No. Tell your mom and no. your boo-boo toots. Shout out Elizabeth Jackman. Shout out Elizabeth Warren. And I think uh, I think you have one more thing to say. I heard you say something and then stop talking. <laughs> you still there? No, I don't have anything to say. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So with that said, everybody, enjoy the lockdown. <laughs>